I'm Sean. I'm Laura. And I'm Alice. We're a theatre company of three, telling stories around the whole country. But now we're stuck at home, with just a microphone. Welcome to Stories from the... Wait. Okay. One, two, three, four... Welcome to Stories from the Sticks, brought to you by Scratchworks Theatre Company. Whilst we can't be on the road, we're bringing stories from the road to you. Episode 6, Anne-Marie. Hey guys. Good afternoon. Or morning. <laughs> or morning, or depending where you are. It's afternoon for us, but not, it maybe could be, not for you. <laughs> it could be 2am if you're struggling to sleep. It's basically lunchtime here. <laughs> I mainly just structure my day around meals more than what is time anyway. Yeah, I was saying to Alice, I've only just it was like I was only just finished my breakfast, and she's like, "But I'm hungry for lunch." <laughs> there are um, no rules when you work from home. Yeah, nowadays yeah, it's just like in the last few months. I am under the control of my tummy. Anyway, <laughs> episode six, guys. Episode uh, six. We can't believe we're here at the last episode of the series. Mm. How exciting! What a, what a journey it's been. <laughs> so many stories well it has been a journey except i basically haven't left this chair <laughs> yeah we've That's gone true. so many places and at the same time gone nowhere um, staring at our laptops <laughs> <laughs> sitting in our little rooms with our cups of tea yeah 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 but it's been great and hopefully maybe it might not be the end but maybe yeah. it will <laughs> there are some prongs on the fire as they say for some some new exciting things coming up all to be released conversations are being had yeah but we don't want to give too much away just in case it doesn't happen yeah just... <laughs> just in case it doesn't we're bye. playing it safe <laughs> just in case yeah so it's so optimistic of me mm. have the air of mystery that just covers everything <laughs> so today something a bit different very exciting which you can also play along with at home. We're playing a game based on a tea towel. The tea towel game. The tea towel game. Well, so I mean, this it's game a very, you can't play this with any tea towel. Let's very just clarify. Yeah. It's a very tea specific towel. tea towel <laughs> owned by Sean. I hope that so we're going to like build the business for whoever this company is that got, because the tea towel came from my mum. My mum, thank you, thank you, Mama Keen, uh, sent me this tea towel a little while ago. So, uh, in the chat I had with Anne-Marie, uh, we talked a little bit about dialect, which didn't come up in, um, in the, it's not in the interview, but it got us chatting and I was like, I have this tea towel and it's got all of the Suffolk, um, or a lot of the Suffolk dialect words on it. And I get really fascinated about different dialects from different areas. So I propose that we did a tea towel game. So essentially, I'm just going to read some of the words from this tea towel and Laura and Alice Suffolk have to... Suffolk dialect words, right? Suffolk dialect words and... Suffolk um, words, cool. Uh, I may do a terrible job at reading them, some <laughs> I've not even heard before. Um, your friends from Alice, your hometown may disown you after this, we shall see. To be honest, I usually know more than they do when I go back home. Oh, really? Like, I've never heard that before. But yeah, I'll yeah. probably get something, either that or from my dad. Um, anyway... <laughs> Uh, we're going to play this game. I'm going to say the word in the Suffolk dialect and then Alice and Laura have to guess what it is. Um, and I'm ready. You ready? There are, yeah, I'm there so excited. There are so many. Um, uh, a few might be slightly offensive. Anyway, I'll start. Wow. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep it PC. Maybe the last episode. Fine. I'm going to keep <laughs> yeah, it PG let's, friendly. Let's keep it PC. Okay. Um, the first word is Abishi Barnaby. Whoa. <laughs> oh, what? A bishy Barnaby. Well, a bishy many Barnaby. things come to mind. I'm thinking of that. Uh, oh, I I'm going to do the classic. I can't remember the name of the TV show. The uh, Inspector Barnaby. Midsummer Murders. Midsummer Murders. <laughs> um, Midsummer Murders. Inspector is hiding in a bush. That's what you my... think it means. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so specific. <it's laughs> a messy night out. Oh, we had a Bishy Barnaby, guys. Oh, I like that. Good shout. 
Yeah, I'm oh, feeling I think confident. we might just have to use that now. Yeah. When night when nights out are allowed. <laughs> yeah. Like we're gone on One day we will have a Bishy Barnaby. Oh, very strong. What is it? What's uh, the answer? So a Bishy Barna- Barnaby is a ladybird. Oh, oh. That's so cute. <laughs> well, to be fair, I was actually closer. How are you closer? Because it was in the It's a man standing in that's a bush. That's very loose. <laughs> <laughs> Is that is that one nil to me? That's that one nil. Yeah. nil? Ooh. What? The point system. We did not discuss this. Right. Okay. I'm going to start the point system. It's going to be. Uh, I'm going to say for creativity, you both get half a point. You okay. Didn't get it right. I'm You're both this, very creative. I'm writing this down. Cool. Thanks. So I'm going to tot up the totals. Okay. If you do something cack-handed. I've heard oh, of that. That what means that? you like you're a bit clumsy. Yeah. You drop things. Clumsy, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think Alice gets the point because she got it spot on. Yeah, Sorry. but I knew it. I was just elaborating. Clumsy and also drop things. Okay, point for each. I'm a terrible. I'm, ter- I'm not very good at being. I'm going to argue my way into every point <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Rummin. Rummin. Ooh. Rummin. Is that like a verb or a noun? Bit of rumming. I'm, I'm, I'm rumming over there. <laughs> rumming. Oh, I've got an idea. Is it when you go for a run, but you've had a tot of rum? So you're rumming. Not advised. You know, yeah. don't do a 5k while inebriated. That's my guess. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if someone has done that. <laughs> I, I feel like it's when you've got like a dodgy tummy. My tummy's feeling a bit rumming, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so so the correct answer is strange. Oh. Well, which technically, oh. by My what Laura says, strange. It's a. I think a Laura link. gets. The I think point. Laura gets the point. Well done, Laura. Smashed it. Thanks so much. Okay. Um, um, <laughs> Alice is just going for a drunk run. No. <laughs> Is this something you make a habit of? I, I mean, like, that is a strange thing to do. That is so. a strange thing to do. Okay, number four. Taint be so likely, boar. Not at Could him. You, it's not happening. Repeat that, please. <laughs> taint be so likely, boy. Boy. Taint, taint, you know, so. Boar. Yeah. It's, it's B-O-R. not going to happen. That's my interpretation okay mine is the opposite it is gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) in whatever you may interpret that to be and the correct answer is not very likely point to alice (laughs) yes right i'm gonna go for two more okay jasper was jasper carrot from somewhere near (laughs) i have no idea because it might be funny like, it might mean doing a funny if doing it's a Jasper. Jasper. I think a Jasper's a thief. Ooh. I don't think to do that being funny. Something's probably nowhere near. So, do you mean it is in the, in the phrase of going. Um, it was having a Jasper. It was having a Jasper, and then you think yeah. you're a Jasper. Like, you're a thief. You're a Jasper. Right. Mm. You're like a mischievous Casper. You know, the friendly ghost. You were a thieving ghost, Jasper. <laughs> I mean, that's a crime novel right there. Yeah, there you go. If you get really bored at home, here you go. Yeah. Um, the correct answer is wasp. No oh. points to either of us. Okay, so the last one that I'm going to do, um, and I think it needs to be on a buzzer system. Okay. So it's the first person to shout my name and then say, okay. and it has to be the name in my, in my Zoom. <laughs> sure. And then say the answer. So uh, if something is slightly on the hurt. Chun, Chun, Chun. I got, means- I got Alice's come through first. <laughs> what? It means it's, it's wonky. Slightly on the wonk. Yeah. Wonky. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you guys hear me say that one all the time, so. That's a Sean yeah. classic. And the I mean, to be fair, in. Laura also knew that. Yeah. So I feel like it's actually a tie. 
Whoa. We're both what a gracious the winner. On three and a half points. Well, We're I don't want to be like, isn't Well, that's why I was like, whoever says my name first, because I knew you both know it. It's all just... Yeah. I definitely got in first, but I went, shut. <laughs> shut. Which is also shut, a, shut, norm, shut, a common shut, nickname shut. for you, of course. All right. In that case, if you didn't get the correct name, I'm docking your point. <laughs> I win. <laughs> three and a half. Oh, if anyone else has any um, dialect, uh, special dialect words they want to send in to us um, so we can have a guess at what they are. Or shout at us in the street. Yeah, um, We would love to hear them. Yeah, send them in. Send them in. Um, either send them to our email address and we'll, we'll try and guess them and post them back and put them on our social media because it's just really good fun. You know, local dialects are something that is possibly disappearing a bit or you don't hear so much of and it's really fun so i've got one for where i grew up near bristol we mm. what what what's a dap we had daps oh they're types of shoes aren't they yeah but i've only learned that since you told me because oh. you were like yeah oh, formerly known as plimsolls yeah yeah formerly known as i didn't know that never heard I of daps i can't think of any I mean, there are, I bet there are loads from the Kentish. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. The other one that my mum always says is Rove. She's got a Rover. Like a Rover? Like a car? No, no. I've got a Rove around, like, walking around. I've got, I've got, I she's got a hunch. Not like a physical hunch, but like a... She's got <laughs> You've a met her, mum. <laughs> Shout it to my mum. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a scab. Oh. A robe is a scab. See, the only thing the I can think of is um, you're hanging in, which was a very specific phrase that came from my school. Like, not even anyone else around the area of, like, Northwest Kent knew what it meant. But you're hanging in. I mean, it sounds like you're having a terrible time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how, but you are. I think of it as hang in there, like you're hanging yeah. in, you're holding on. No, it's actually when you're having a conversation and someone's like hovering, trying to join, but not saying anything. Uh... And it's like, mate, you're hanging in. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> Someone's just trying to be friends. Well, it was... Stop you know, hanging in, mate. Teenagers that skid out my conversation. Teenagers That's at school, brutal. Yeah? They're not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Could you say that technically all our listeners are hanging in? They're all kind of leaning in, hovering, having a listen to our conversation. It's not a very nice thing to say to the listeners, Sean. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I would not say that about our lovely four and a half listeners. Take it back. Take I don't it know. Out. Cut it. Cut it, Andy. Yeah. Cut it. <laughs> Hello, it's me, Maud. Just swooping on in to let you know about a very exciting adventure. If you don't know me, I'm Maud and I am an owl. Also, less importantly, I am the proud assistant to the most wonderful scientific explorer in all of Seldenburg. But also, I am an owl. And for the past few days, I've been packing me bag. And it's not easy with wings and no thumbs, let me tell you. But... We've got all the gear, snacks and supplies, including pink wafers. I will not go anywhere without my pink wafers. Anyway, I'm withering on. I wondered whether you, and maybe if you know any younger explorers, if you'd like to come with us on this journey, it's going to be an audio adventure to find the snow beast. And who... Wait, I did it wrong. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you do it? Okay, right. So who's up for... How do you speak? Oh, I was doing Sorry. it then. <laughs> I think for episode so, six, we should just leave it, it in. We just leave it in. Yeah, I think we leave it in. That's not because no, guys. No, I need to become off slightly more professional than I am. Laura doesn't know how to speak until she's had two goes. Professional's overrated. Yeah. You're fine. So guys, who's up for today's interview? Well, it's me, Shan. <laughs> Shan, I'm back around, Shan, uh, and I'm interviewing the wonderful Anne Marie from Shropshire. For the final episode in this series, we have made the journey north to Rorrington, a hamlet in West Shropshire that sits cross-legged 
with Wales to its left and England's Midlands to its right. This time we meet artist and folklorist Anne-Marie, who feels like the epitome of what Stories from the Sticks is all about. In lockdown, she's been running an online project, Folk, which encourages local people to share stories, songs, videos and paintings responding to Shropshire's history and folklore. She told me that, although they don't live anywhere near each other, the people of folk feel very much a part of each other's lives. Now, my internet provider has been having a mess around lately. I won't name and shame, so let's call them... Burgentedia? Burgentedia decided they didn't want to play nice that day, so there were a few internet hiccups, but it's definitely worth it for the fantastic stories of Majel the Witch, Sin Eaters, and much, much more. Hopefully I'm not going to say anything controversial. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had anything major yet so far, but it's, you just never know. You don't, you know, you don't know what, where questions are going to take people. So. It's true, it's true. And you just don't know what can sometimes just pop out of your mouth and you think, did I really say that? <laughs> <laughs> to get started, really simply, if okay. you could describe for our listeners where you are right now. Well, I'm currently sitting in my studio in a little hamlet, I guess you would call it, um, that's called Rorrington, in the middle of nowhere in Shropshire. Um, it's a beautiful, idyllic little place. Nearest neighbours are quite a way away. Um, that's not to say I'm, I'm, not, I'm not normally a sociable person. But, you know, there's a lot of distance between people here. You know, it's the sort of place where really life goes on at a very very slow and individual pace so could you describe your farmhouse um for the listeners um it's sort of like um in a jane austen novel where you the main character suddenly befalls some terrible hardship and they have to move from the big house and they then move to this sort of ramshackle quite big sort of place but you know it's sort of disheveled sort of farmhouse type place that's what our farmhouse looks like <laughs> um very disheveled but kind of romantic in a way and um this property we we just saw it um on the internet and it just seemed to call us that's the only way i can describe it mm. is it just really called us so we came and had a look at it and um, we were greeted by hares that were literally romping around in our garden, as it is now, and on the driveway. Um, and as soon as we saw that, it was like, we've got to have this place. Mm. Um, this place is definitely, you know, um, where we want to be. Mm. So, um, yeah, we took it on about 10 years ago, actually. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like a haven for wildlife and um as i sort of said it's all it's quite a crumbling building mm. but that means that we've got so many little creatures that live with us so we sort of currently house um mice they don't come in the house these are sort of like <laughs> all on the outside i hasten to it well they may come in um but we've got mice we've got swifts we've got sparrows we've got bats that are sort of currently we've got some baby bats that we can hear sort of you know ready to sort of fledge out mm. um, and fly into the world um, as i said we've got hares so the hare this year um, we had her give birth to two leverets in our garden we were able to literally watch her give birth to these two little babies, which was absolutely amazing. Um, we've got sort of foxes, um, you know, you name it. We've got red kites that saw the skies around here. It is really beautiful, but it's also quite a hard landscape to live mm. in as well. Um, there's, you know, there is that harshness to it. We are quite isolated, and so, you know, you can become quite isolated as people yourselves and you can almost forget about sort of the rest of what's going on in the world i mean obviously we we have the internet and we rely on that a lot really mm. um you know to sort of keep in touch I, I imagine in times like this where like especially when you get really good weather it must be a really beautiful that's the thing that's come up in 
looking up Shropshire is just kind of the landscape is really beautiful. It is. It's it's where we are. We sort of call it the wild side of Shropshire. Um, so there's we're sort of in a little bit of a valley, um, but very close to the upland area. Mm. And it's, you know, in lovely weather, fabulous, but it's an incredibly hard place to live. Uh, we have little drovers lanes that lead to where we live, you know, barely roads, really. Mm. And any any kind of bad weather, um, you know, really causes a problem. Mm. If it snows, we in, invariably get cut off. But, you know, recently, um, Shrewsbury, Shropshire was affected quite badly by floods. And certainly by us, where we're in these sort of drovers lanes, um, basically it's a track with very high sides either side. We had quite a few landslides of mud um, because there was just so much rain. You know, literally the the banks of, of, of the, uh, the sort of like the hedgerows couldn't take it. So we had these sort of landslides of mud, um, again, blocking, oh blocking our way out of the village. So does that mean that you're kind of stuck until people are able to come and clear it and then you're yes, relying on, <laughs> essentially you're relying on what you have in the house? <laughs> it is exactly like that. I mean, in some ways, um, sort of the preparation for coronavirus of keeping the extra loo rolls in <laughs> type thing. <laughs> Um, it's something that really we always have to have a sort of a little bit of a stockpile mm. of things uh, because there aren't any shops really very near to us. The nearest shop is about five miles away. Mm. Um, so, you know, you just are always sort of prepared just in case. Um, and even now, uh, it's been quite windy and rainy around here um, this past month, really. Um, so while the trees are in full leaf, what that means is we've had quite a few trees that have come down. So again, they've been blocking the way out, um, you know, because obviously trees in full leaf are very prone to falling when it's, you know, these summer winds. Mm. So interesting. You guys must have been probably one of the most prepared uh, in regards to the pandemic of not having to panic <laughs> about Lou Roll and going, oh no, we're, we've been sorted for a while. <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of like Lural. Yeah, we have that. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. It, it's a yes and no, actually, to, to, to that, though. Um, because what we did find was then, um, because we, we normally had uh, our shopping delivered to us, because, you know, as I say, we live, we live so far in the sticks. It's mm. actually a good thing, um, you know, cost us more in fuel to go out to the shops. So we sort of uh, were very lucky we could get sort of some food deliveries. But when, um, you know, the virus hit, all of those food deliveries went. So suddenly we had to go out to shops a lot more. Mm. And what we found, even though we're in um, really quite an agricultural area, we had a massive shortage of fresh food, really. That was the main thing. Um, so we thought we were sort of like in danger of getting scurvy because you know, <laughs> we, could, we couldn't get fresh vegetables um, oh, or fruit. So um, my daughter, who lives in London, was sort of there with all of these lovely exotic foods that she was able to access, you know, middle of a city. Mm. And us here, we were like, oh, we've got a lemon today. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, so like the novelty, well, not the novelty, I suppose it's not the right word, but the excitement of like fresh fruit and veg is... Uh, that kind of takes us back a bit doesn't it of like seriously it seriously was i mean when we finally got a reasonable amount of fresh fresh vegetables and fresh fruit we were just like oh my gosh and celery which is normally kind of quite a bland sort of food isn't it you know it's not known for its flavor oh yeah, i mean i don't jump, jump to buy it <laughs> yes fresh celery we were like oh my gosh how wonderful the flavor <laughs> we sort of like ate up about a week's supply of fresh food in sort of two days because it was just it was like nectar it was amazing i think there's probably a good opportunity to move on to um what you've been doing in regards to your folk project um so i'd love to hear a little bit more about that and kind of what inspired you to get that started and to continue it especially throughout lockdown i became interested in how could i connect um 
people, creatives, fellow creatives. And so um, I founded a group that was called Folk. And Folk really has always been in part um, an internet-based group. What we, what we did was we started taking um, activities, events, and even we even ran a couple of local festivals in places that you know, wouldn't necessarily have those kinds of things going on. And most of our work has been connected to the uh, folklore of Shropshire, and we sort of do creative responses to that folklore. And our group is made up of the arts in the broadest sense. So we've got creative writers, um, we've got musicians, we've got poets, we've got visual artists, storytellers, we've got craft artists, we've got, you know, really got a real breadth of the arts there. And then basically what happened was we were very lucky and we were given some awards for all funding just literally before the uh, the lockdown and we had intended to continue our work of taking work out into places and we called them kindful cafes um, and the idea behind that was that it was about first of all when we first gathered with each other just sort of thinking about you know our experiences of how we can be kind to each other mm. and you know the things that we um, have, have received out of kindness the other idea as well behind it was that they were very informal. The cafe idea that this wasn't, you know, a formal workshop. It's more about friends gathered around a kitchen table um, with, a, with a mug of coffee and a, a cake and, you know, definitely sharing skills or stories or music or whatever, um, but done in this very informal and gentle way. Mm. Um, but because sadly we, we couldn't do that, um, so we decided to take the project online. The thing that you have to understand is, is this is still quite an, an agricultural community and even now farmers local to where I live still keep a lot of the folklore and tradition. So a really good example is, is about the Rowan Cross. People used to collect um, two sticks from a Rowan tree when it was in full berry and what they would do is bind it in a cross with a red thread and it was meant to protect livestock particularly from, um, you know, lightning strike and things like that. Even now, local farmers by here will do that. They'll collect the rowan, they create it, they put it up on their barns to protect the livestock. So we're not that far away from still using some of this folklore here mm. and I think that's one of the things that's quite interesting um you know I, I'm not trying to say that all over Shropshire is like that <laughs> obviously you know, in Shrewsbury and the main <laughs> towns you know it's, it's not like that but in certain pockets it certainly seems to have stayed so I think that that's probably why it you know we still feel like we're almost still living a lot of the folklore it's beautiful i got to i had an opportunity to have a look at it this week and it's it's amazing it's like shropshire is a kind of a fairy tale book it's very magical there's something about yeah. all the folklore that holds a lot of magic and i'd love to hear more about you'd mentioned uh, medjool the witch Yes. So again, where, where I live, I mentioned I'm by the upland part. And so there's a walk that I do from my house that leads just up to the uplands. And the upland is um, an area which was used by all of the people locally to, it was a common ground where they could, you know, graze their animals there. So you're on this upland upland area on the one side of you as you look you can see Wales and on the other side of you you can see England so we literally are look able to look down on these two different areas um, which is such a, a, a beautiful beautiful sight it really is and as it would happen someone at some point in time decided to build a stone circle there 
And so the stone circle is known as Mitchell's Fold. It's not a magnificent stone circle by any means. Um, you know, it's not a Stonehenge. It's just, you know, 15 stones sort of, you know, quite small, a lot of them. But there's a real feeling, of, you know, on this place. And the story that goes with it is that um, this area had a time of famine, which going back to what I said about, you, you know, it can be an area of hardship. I can really see that. And this famine, some stories say it was because um, there was a drought. Some stories say it's because th there was so much rain. I personally go on the drought side because on a hot summer's day on this upland area, it is baking, you know, very little can grow there. And so you could really understand that people would, you know, find it difficult to grow their food. Mm. Um, and so, of course, what happened was at this time of famine was people were starving and they wanted to find someone to blame. Who could they blame? Well, they blamed which Medjool. So Medjool the witch is really, um, you know, she's, she's a fairy story. She wasn't a real person. And she has many different names depending on what part of the area you live in. So the different villages and hamlets have got different names for her. So we call her Medjool, where, where I am. Um, there's the name Marshpool, Mickle, Muckle, um, all these different names for this make-believe witch, as we think. And basically what happened was, was the fairies, they saw that the people of the, the lands around Stapley Common were starving. And so the fairy queen decided to send this white cow. And this white cow could be milked one bucket for each person to literally stave off the hunger of the community. And so the local community would go up, milk the fairy cow, um, take their one bucket, and they were able to live. Well, so the story goes, which Medjool got really upset by this because now people weren't coming to her to seek magic. They weren't coming to her for help. They were going to this fairy cow. And so one night she went up to Stapley Common and the cow was there and she took a bucket, but she pierced holes in the bottom of the bucket. And so what this meant was that the bucket never filled up. So she milked and she milked and she milked the cow, but the bucket never filled up and until eventually the, the, the cow realized what's happening here and was just milk dry and literally kicked up its heels, kicked over the bucket and vanished. Well, of course, the people around there were absolutely furious because their meal ticket had basically gone. And so they rounded up on Medjool and they got hold of her and they imprisoned her by building a stone circle around her. And that is where she remains. That's the story. When I heard this story, I first of all thought, oh my gosh, that really seems a really terrible punishment to be sort of locked there forevermore in this place, which, yes, is incredibly beautiful, but equally, you know, the, the hard baking sun of summer, the, the snows of winter that fall there, it would be absolutely terrible. And I felt this was an absolutely cruel and unjust thing to do. And actually, maybe there was more to this story. And so as an artist, I let my imagination run. And I went on this walk every day, as I say, up to the stone circle. And there was a little derelict cottage not far from the stone circle. And I started to imagine that this was where Witch Medjool lived. And I started to think about maybe she was an old lady. Maybe she was somebody who was isolated, had nobody with her, um, you know, and was perhaps it could even be something like Alzheimer's or some condition that meant she just, you know, she didn't know what was happening. Um, you know, she didn't do this maliciously. And it took me on the path of realising so much about the whole witch-blaming culture and the blaming culture that we have always had and we still have now. Mm. So it, it made me realise, particularly women, how women have suffered at the hands very often of other women blaming them. 
Um, and particularly in relation to the witch stories, um, of course, when you look at you know the main time of where the witch trials were going on, once a, a, somebody had been blamed as being a witch, it then went into the authorities' hands. And of course, the authorities were men, and they tended to be either the church or the law. And then, of course, we then have this terrible time where many, many women were killed um, as witches, where quite honestly, they were just ordinary people. Mickle and Muckle, Medgley and Mitchell, Medgell and Mashpool, Malevolent Milker, Mickle and Muckle, Medgley and Mitchell, Medgell and Mashpool, Malevolent Milker. Tales tell of long ago when famine stalked the land, a pure white cow came under cover of the night. Freely gave her milk, one pailful at a time. If anyone was taken, she would take flight. Mickle and Muckle, Medgley and Mitchell, Medgell and Marshpool. Malevolent Milker, Mickle and Muckle, Medgley and Mitchell, Medgell and Marshpool. Malevolent Milker. A malevolent old witch was jealous of this gift. She plotted and she schemed to overthrow. overthrow. One night with a pail, with a zip for the bottom, she took advantage of this flow. Mickle and Muckle, Metchley and Mitchell, Medgell and Marshpool. Malevolent Milker. Mickle and Muckle. That was Malevolent Milker by singer, composer and choir leader Mary Keith. It was originally created for the Heartland Shropshire Hills project and then shared as a creative response to the tale of Medjill the Witch as part of Anne-Marie's online project, Folk. There's something interesting you're saying about um, these stories coming out of times of hardships and I was just wondering how you may not have a response for it but obviously we're currently going through a time of hardship with the pandemic. Can you imagine that there'll be stories um, that will come out of this period of time? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, just going back to the the whole idea of blame anyway, you know, we're already at that stage where, and this is, you know, totally a non-political comment here, but where we are starting to say, you know, somebody has got to be blamed for this. Have we done this right? Who did this wrong? Who's done this? Who's created this coronavirus? So we've, you know, we're already into that sort of um, mode at the moment anyway. And I think also um, just in regards to the idea of these things happening to us we don't quite know why they're happening to us you know certainly in folklore there would be folklore that would you know whether it be a story of a witch or whether it be different sayings and ways that sort of look at um, these times where people have had whether it's plagues or famines or whatever I think our responses that we're doing in a lot of ways are very similar uh, you, you know, we're not that different from, from our past, really, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm. And, um, I mean, just yesterday was St. Swithin's Day. So St. Swithin's Day, do you know about that? No, I don't. No? So St. Swithin's Day, there's a little rhyme, which is, St. Swithin's Day, if thou dost reign, for 40 days it will remain. St. Swithin's Day, if thou be fair, for 40 days twill reign, nay mare. So no more rain. Well, here we had rain on St. Swithin's Day. Um, so we're, we're absolutely there. 40 more days of rain is now going to follow. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's another little bit of Shropshire folklore from that, which was about a woman who on St. Swithin's Day, if it rained, what she would do was go out and collect the rainwater on this St. Swithin's Day. And she would make a cake we don't know what kind of cake it was but she would make this cake using the rainwater, and it would be able to be given to people one of the things it was meant to help was uh, problems with the bowels apparently <laughs> uh, but also um, you know it was like a restorative to the community but if it didn't rain on St Swithin's Day, she couldn't collect the rainwater, she couldn't make the cake. And it would mean then that there would be disease and pestilence and hardship in the area, um, you know, for, for you know, at least 40 days. And I just it, it just really resonated with this whole thing of coronavirus. Yeah. And the fact that it did rain, and I'm thinking, I really hope she's made that cake so that now <laughs> we're not going to have 
any more of this or it's going to start to tail off mm. you know some kind of thankful it rained i'm hoping she made the cake um but you know what i mean it's just it's just that way that we try and explain and explore these things mm. um to you know try and try and decide why is this happening to us now yeah i think i think those i think folklore well, I suppose it's just my opinion. Is it's a it's a really brilliant way of being able to process and understand things that that are difficult to process and understand. So that our imagination almost comes in and takes that off our hands a little bit and helps us process it, which is, is yes, I think that's thing true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. And I put, you know, I mean, obviously now we're so much further in terms of science, you know, and that was when folklore sort of started to decline really was sort of you know as science took off and we started to find real in inverted commas real explanations for things that were happening mm. but I go back to us people who are creative people particularly we're the sort of people that like to let our imaginations ramble and to sort of explore these different things and you know I'm, I'm very interested in science I have to say um, so it's not that I'm a, an anti-science person and a lot of work and artists that I've worked with have been related to science a lot of the mm. projects have been um, you know art's a great way to further explore and explain science so do you feel like there's anything that you have if you don't mind me asking this um if yeah. there's anything that you've kind of learnt about yourself in this time during lockdown if anything you've kind of discovered i've discovered i'm quite impatient although my <laughs> husband would probably tell you that anyway <laughs> he'd say what's new um <laughs> um i actually i don't like being locked down um so you know the idea that we live somewhere that's already quite isolated anyway but we've always had the freedom to go out and about and um because i'm you know a, a, as well as an artist i'm a folklorist i've literally traveled around um the united kingdom um because that's my area my specialist area is uk folklore um because i, I put together a diary every year called the country wisdom and folklore diary mm. um and what that does is it literally celebrates the folklore of the united kingdom so normally, um, you know, I'd be traveling all roundabouts collecting folklore, um, you know, so traveling to the Orkneys maybe was it was one of the things we did last year. Um, you know, just traveling where people tell me there's something to find, I would go and find it. And of course, then lockdown happens and suddenly we can't go anywhere. And um, whilst I've always been you know really really happy to travel to these places and then I come back to my idyllic home just being stuck in my idyllic home has sometimes also felt like a little bit like an idyllic kind of hell I have to say <laughs> <laughs> um, you know if I'm honest um, and I think it challenged me artistically um, as a creative person the internet didn't help to start off with because there was many, many artists that were out there who were saying, oh, this is fabulous, this is great, and I'm making this, and I'm making that. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm making nothing. You know, it just, it seemed to really, really destabilise my creative process, I would say. So I was just going to ask, um, if you had to move away, tomorrow um what would you miss oh well i guess it would be this idea that um i feel a custodian of this this house that's kind of become a, a an all creatures commune shall i say <laughs> um <laughs> i'd be really worried that somebody else would start to fill in all of those holes in the building that we've happily left um you know not give the space for all of the little creatures that that sort of live with us mm. um you know uh, we've often thought about sort of as we you know get older I'm, I'm 55 at the moment so I'm you know not past it but you do start to think about um you know it's, it's a go back to it's very isolated 
Um, if we were ill, it would take quite a time for somebody to be able to get to us, you know, those kinds of things. Mm. And thinking about as you get older, um, is this the place to sort of live? Do you need to be more in a community where you can access things? Um, and when I've imagined that, um, I do get sort of like a bit, oh, you know, with not having space all the way around me, um, how would I cope? How would I cope with sort of having people on top of me? Um, as I say, I, I am very, very much a social creature and I've really missed not meeting all of the people that I normally go out and meet. Um, but I always come back to this sort of, you know, this place which has got space, which has got nature. Mm. Um, so that's what, what I think I would miss, unless I could move somewhere very, very similar. Uh, <laughs> maybe, to, maybe go to the Orkneys, which, you know, is just absolutely fabulous mm. there. Um, uh, but if it was sort of, you know, not a like for like, I think I would miss, miss that a lot. I, I guess I've rambled long enough, haven't I really? There's so many stories around here that I could tell you. We could, you know, just keep going on forever. Mm. Stories of sin eaters, um, which is another, you know, big folklore tradition around here. What's a we sin heard eater? Of... No, ah. tell me. <laughs> well, um, where, where we live again, sort of on the borders, um, there was a tra tradition of sin eating. And what that was was that if people died and weren't able to have um you know priest um a vicar or whatever come to them it meant that they were dying with sin on their soul and so what people did um was communities had people that were called the sin eater and um these people were basically they lived on the outskirts of the village and they were brought in at the time of somebody dying and they literally, where the body was, the relatives of the person that had died would pass bread and beer or wine or something over the body of the person and the sin eater would eat the bread and drink the beer or the wine and thereby take on the sins of that person. And so that person, the sin eater, lived with sin on their soul. They took on the sins of all the community. Um, and it died out not that long ago, 1800 sort of time, you know, it was still sort of going on. There's rumours that there's people that still do that, <laughs> I hasten to add. Um, but in a village nearby that's called Rapture, um, it's spelt rattling hope, but lots of local people pronounce it ratch up. Um, the last sin eater known round here um, lived and died, and his name was Richard Munslow. And he was really unusual because um, by then, we know from him that the sin eater was actually somebody that then lived in the community. So he was a local farmer. He had children. Um, he lived a normal life, but he was also the local sin eater. And um, so, you know, sort of by that time, as I say, they weren't these outcasts. But certainly going on to that, what we were saying before about, you know, people being different, these people, they were, they were actually doing a service for their community. Um, they were known, they were known to the church people, you know, uh, they kind of like lived side by side. Um, but, um, you know, they were these people that were outcasts. But I believe that um, community members would leave, you know, money, food, drink for them so that they could obviously survive because they were very much needed at, you know, the very time of somebody dying. Mm. So uh, that's that's another little one that's sort of associated with round here. That's so fascinating. I mean, I could I could talk to you about all the different folklore for ages, but um, <laughs> I want to give you your afternoon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting to me. It's been it's been really interesting. So thank you so much for giving your time. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And let's keep in touch anyway. Yeah, that'd be I, lovely. I have feeling that there might be some link 
you know, at some point. Um, Has it been such a life of trouble, sin and strife? Since our chat, Anne-Marie told me that their online folk project has tripled in members and her country wisdom and folklore diary that she's created has been printed and is now selling. She's been out and about meeting artists in cafes, pubs and gardens and luckily work has picked up for her now. She said, shopping wise we can now get pretty much anything so no risk of scurvy like I once thought. She's off to Cornwall soon staying in a place that's overlooking the sea, and she can't wait. If you'd like to find out more about Anne-Marie's online folk project, which is bursting full of Shropshire folklore, visit their Facebook page online via the link in the show notes. So for one final time this series, you have been listening to Stories from the Sticks by Scratchworks Theatre Company. If you enjoyed listening, please do spread the word. You can subscribe, you can review and share on all social media and of course tell all your friends and family, even your work colleagues at the next Zoom meeting, they'll love it. And for anyone less confident with accessing podcasts, we find sending them the YouTube link does the job. We'd like to say a massive thank you to Anne-Marie for sharing her beautiful stories with us and musician Mary Keith for the gorgeous song Malevolent Milker and also, of course, thank you for Acast for hosting us. This brings us to the end of Series 1 of Stories from the Sticks. But there's more on the way soon, including our brand new audiobook for young adventurers. To find out more, sign up to the Scratchworks mailing list via our website... Or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Stories from the Sticks is supported by Arts Council England. It was edited by Andrew Armfield and the music composed by Jack Dean. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and well.